This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. I'm Bill Bryant and we hope you're enjoying your weekend. Later, what's the plan for recreation, including state parks during this unusual summer ahead? Kentucky's Secretary for Arts, Tourism and Heritage will be joining us later and we'll talk about options for getting out and about. But first, Kentucky's primary election is being held in an unusual way with most voters making their choices known by absentee. The coronavirus pandemic forced state officials to move it from May to June and then to decide that widespread in-person voting staffed by election workers simply would not be safe or practical. Fayette County Clerk Don Blevins Jr. says thousands of people have already requested absentee ballots while others have lingering questions about the process. His answers will be specific to Lexington in some cases, but most of what he says will hold true throughout the Commonwealth. Fayette County Clerk Don Blevins Jr. joining us and we welcome you. Thank you very much uh, Clerk for being with us. Good morning, Bill. It's always good to be with you. Let's acknowledge it right now. You know, we always call this a, a, a challenging time or a tough time, and that it is. Uh, it is for you. I know trying to operate your office with the uh, myriad of responsibilities you have, and then uh, all of a sudden you have to turn on a dime and conduct a primary election in a way that's never been done before. It's tough, huh? True. Yep. It's, it's been kind of rough. Uh, the office, I'll say, is, is I think we've finally adapted everything we need to do. So all transactions that we normally do in person are now available via the mail or other methods like online. So we have a complete workaround to keep the staff safe. I'm going to keep the office closed until July 6th because I need them all for the election. We can't afford to have a quarantine situation between now and the end of June. So I know the public's still a little frustrated with me for that but it's, it's the only practical way to get through the, the coming days in the election. So what people, As to know, the ele go people ahead. know who are driving behind you down Main Street is that uh, you have a lot of folks in there and they're working behind the scenes, but uh, it's just not safe at this point in your judgment to have uh, in-person traffic. Correct, correct. So switching gears to the election, yeah. uh, first, I just want to say how proud I am of Kentucky. I'm sure you share this view. We really did a great job flattening our curve. I'm, I'm pretty sure we're leading the nation still in, in doing that job. Lexington in particular did a great job as well. In fact, if it wasn't for the federal prison, I believe our numbers would lead the state here as well. So very proud of us. And now we're gonna continue that success by changing the way we do the election to, and, to and vote absentee in mail, by mail. Let's talk about that. Let's acknowledge that it took a, a Democratic governor and a Republican Secretary of State uh, coming together and agreeing on how to do this. And it, uh, it wasn't uh, easy. There were negotiations, obviously, behind the scenes. Yes. But uh, in a few days, they came out and uh, addressed the public and announced that we will have a primary June 23rd, and it's different. Yes, those negotiations took a while. The clerks were involved as well. This is a very, very bipartisan decision. All clerks, both R's and D's, all of us, were very much in favor of vote by mail. There was no way to get our election officers out to our normal locations. As you know, most of the election officers are in the at-risk category, according to the CDC. So, that, you know, voting in person was just not going to happen. So I, I, I agree with this decision. It's going to be tough for us to pull it off, particularly the small counties are struggling. But I think we'll get through it, and it's the right thing to do to protect us all. Let's talk about the request for absentee ballots, how you do that, and the numbers that you have as we put this program together heading into the weekend. Right, right. So the primary method for voting this time is absentee by mail. 
we want you to request your ballot through a portal that's been created by the State Board of Elections. That portal is called GoVoteKY.com. GoVoteKY.com. You go there, you fill out the forms. It's, it's about a one-minute exercise, and once you're done, your request will land at your local county clerk's office. In Fayette County, the, the portal was turned on a week ago Friday. Uh, so in Fayette County, since then, via the portal and via uh, the phones, we've received about 25,400 requests. This is as of yesterday. Of those requests, we've processed enough that we're down to only 18,700 to go. Uh, we did, just to give you an idea, we put out about 4,400 ballots yesterday. Today, I hope to beat that by a little bit, put out another five to 6,000. We'll see what we can do with the office today. Other ways that people can obtain their ballot. You're, obviously, you want them to go online. That is the easiest way, but there are some who will not have that access, and there are other ways to request that absentee ballot, right? Correct. And, and the only way, really, is to contact the office via the phone. Uh, and I really prefer people not do that. We only have 26 inbound phone lines, and we also have people calling with questions. We still have the normal business phone calls coming through. It will simply overall, completely overload our system if everybody calls. So portal is the best way. If you have to, because you're not comfortable with the internet or don't have internet access, the phone is just fine, please call. But try not to if you, if you have the other option available. Once you get your absentee ballot, that is your sacred vote. Keep it secure, uh, right? And uh, you know, there are those who worry about uh, the, the security of, uh, of those ballots. We have a history of misdeeds in Kentucky and uh, those uh, uh, being in the hands of others or, uh, you know, there's some concern in parts of the country about harvesting of ballots where they're actually distributed to the wrong people. How have we made safeguards against that happening? Well, there's that, that's a very broad question, so let's let's break it down a little bit. I believe this is the most secure way to vote. Uh, we're going to set up an option for those who are uncomfortable using the mail, but for those who are, it, this couldn't be easier. You request it on a portal, uh, uh, maybe a week or so later, you're going to get your ballot in the mail. You fill out your ballot, you sign the inner envelope, the outer envelope, put your package together, and guess what? The postage is prepaid by the state, so you don't even have to put stamps on the envelope. You drop it in the mail and you're done. For those who don't want to use the mail option, we're going to offer a drop box out at Commonwealth, or excuse me, Kroger, Kroger Field. Mm -hmm. There's a president's pavilion on the southwest corner. It looks like a permanent tent. We'll have a, a, a box there stationed with someone keeping an eye on it, and you can drive by there starting on June the 15th. And we'll, we'll keep that box up all the way until Election Day. I'll have a different option on Election Day, but you'll still be able to drop your ballot off on that day as well. That way, if you're not comfortable with sending it through the mail, you still have an option to get the ballot to us in a secure fashion. Now, when does it have to be returned by? What is the rule on the, the, uh, the postmark right. and all of that? So let's do a couple of dates. Yes. Uh, June 15th is the last day to request your ballot by mail, either through the portal or via the phone with us. Uh, the, the ballot must be postmarked by June 23rd or dropped off by June 23rd. Uh, for those ballots marked by 23rd, if we receive them by the 27th, which should be enough time to get everybody's vote in, then we will still count your ballot. Do you think this will be a, a, a typical uh, election night, or is this going to take uh, several days to, to count these ballots? No, as they roll it will, yeah, it will def this is not a typical election at all, and it will definitely not be done election night. So we're used to having that election night reporting where the results kind of roll in a little bit at a time. It's kind of an exciting night. And, you know, usually by 8 or 9 o'clock, we kind of know who's going to win. 
Uh, that's not going to happen this time. We're being told by our friends in Colorado that have done this before that after 10 or 12 years of doing it and being smart, they've got it down to 25% of the ballots arriving on or about election day, that last week. Well, I asked them what happened the first year you did it, and they said, well, it's more like 40%. So if we get 40% of our ballots that final week or that final day, there's no way we can count them that night. It's not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. So what the state board has allowed us to do is to continue counting through the following Monday, which is June the 29th. Then on June the 30th, we're all required to report our final results. So I'm gonna predict that the final results will literally wait until June the 30th. Which will be interesting, uh, uh, several days uh, to wait on that. I'm well aware that uh, this has all kinds of political overtones to ask this next question, but you ran for office and I cover politics, so <laughs> is it likely that, <laughs> that there will have to be some alteration in the way we vote in the fall here in Kentucky as well? From your standpoint. That's the, yeah, that's the million dollar question. Uh, putting the politics aside, I just want to talk about the mechanics briefly. What we're trying to do in the primary is going to stretch the very limits, the outer limits of what county clerks can do. Our, we're not built for this kind of election at all in Kentucky. Our, our laws aren't structured for it. We don't have the infrastructure nor the automation to pull off true vote by mail. So if, if we end up having to do it in the fall, we're going to need to start that planning almost now. The, state's nugget, the state will need to buy some processing equipment. You know, in, in Colorado and Hawaii and some of the other states, they've automated a lot of this signature checking, all these other things that we need to do. We, don't have, we didn't have the opportunity to do that now. Our signature uh, database, if you will, is meant for human lookup, not for automation. So our signature data is awful, frankly. Mm -hmm. So we can't do this in the fall exactly the way we're doing it right now. There has to be a lot more work done. All right, so if My greatest... Go ahead. If people like this system, uh, and, and they are somewhat comfortable with it, and of course this is operating, we understand, under an emergency declaration agreed to by the governor and secretary of state at this point, but if the legislature were to take this up or people were to like it, uh, is it uh, possible we could move to, uh, uh, you know, to mail-in voting and, and get away from the uh, excuse-only absentee voting in the future? I think it's possible. Uh, it's going to be hard to pass that in the Republican legislature yeah. right now. They're, they're not very much fans of, of vote by mail. Uh, but I think what you're going to see, Bill, is those who do it this spring, or the, excuse me, this summer, uh, they're going to love it. This is really nice. Voting from your kitchen, dropping it in the mail, and you're done. It's also less expensive. Uh, in states that have done it, the, the politics have stayed exactly the same. There's really no reason politically not to do it. it I, I don't know. I think their fears are warranted. So you would say that it probably does not provide an advantage one way or the other to one political party no, or the other? It doesn't. Um, in states that, that went to vote by mail that were red states, they stayed red states. And the blue ones stayed blue. It really has no effect other than it's more convenient for everybody. Voters right. love this. So we have this underway. Last year you were looking for funding for new voting machines. Are you still uh, hoping to uh, continue that process as well? You have to keep two things going at once here, right? Yeah, well, no, we were successful there. Yeah. We bought our new machines. Yeah. They're out at a new warehouse. That's where we're, we're going to use our new warehouse to do the uh, ballot processing. So, in fact, we're going to live stream that, and you can look for where to see that starting Monday. We're going to start ballot processing. You can watch us live stream on YouTube, look for a link on lexingtonky.gov forward slash vote. 
There will be a link there for you to watch us actually process the ballots. Don, is there anything else we need to know about this uh, unusual June 23rd primary voted mainly by absentee uh, that uh, people should keep in the backs of their minds if they are, are going to take part? Right. Very quickly, there are two other ways that you can still vote that are not by mail. We would like the first one is for our disabled community. We're going to have a, a voting location out at the senior center that will be starting on June the 8th. You can ask, you can only vote there by appointment. It's strictly for our disabled community. We will have our special machines so that they can vote independently and still have their ballot cast if they're uncomfortable with the mail or, or can't do the mail for some reason. The second other way that you can vote is we will have one location available to you on election day for in-person voting. That location is at Commonwealth State, excuse me, Kroger Field, I gotta say that, <laughs> so used to it. Kroger Field, it'll be on the back, the south side of the, the sta stadium at gates nine and 11. There'll be signs directing you what to do. You just park in the blue lot and then walk up and we'll take care of you. We've got two long serpentine lines to try, try and keep everybody up under the stadium in case the weather's bad. Right. And that's how we'll do election day. Fayette County Clerk Don Blevins Jr., thank you so much for being with us. Really do appreciate it. Good luck with the primary election. Great and to see you, Bill. Stay safe. You as well. Stay with us now. We'll find out what's next for Kentucky State Parks and recreation sites for the summer when we come back. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We're glad you're here. Some state parks in Kentucky are scheduled to open up tomorrow after being closed for months. It's made for a difficult spring for people who enjoy being outside, and this, of course, has hit the state's tourism industry hard. This morning, we're talking to Mike Berry, who is secretary of the Kentucky Tourism Arts and Heritage Cabinet, about the impact and about what's ahead. Mr. Secretary, thank you very much for being with us. No, it's my pleasure, uh, and thank you for... Uh, talking about one of my favorite things and that is tourism in Kentucky. Obviously we've had a, a rough spring but Kentuckians have followed the governor's advice to stay healthy at home uh, and now as we're starting to reopening things tourists uh, can uh, come back into the state and, and we're looking forward to hosting them safely in the days ahead. Let's talk about that. You have been in tourism a long time. People may or may not know that you ran the Kentucky Derby Festival for 33 years, so you've been on the front lines. Uh, how much of an impact uh, has this made on the state's tourism business, and what are our chances now of turning this around in the second half of the year? Well, it's had a tremendous uh, impact on the, on the state's tourism business. I mean, uh, when you think of the tens of thousands of people who uh, are employed through the tourism industry, uh, the billions of dollars that are spent uh, on, on tourism uh, in Kentucky um, to have been for almost a three month period uh, put in suspense, it's had a tremendous impact. Um, but uh, you know, I'm a guy who believes that you take uh, lemons and make lemonade. And one of the things that we are well positioned to do, and some of your viewers may have seen some of the ads that we've been running, not only uh, in state, but we, we've been running them in some of the national markets as well, saying when this is over, Kentucky is here for you. You know, Kentucky is, is within uh, a day's drive of uh, over half of the population of the United States. Uh, and I think that as people want to return and, and, and have a summer vacation, they may not necessarily be looking at going to the exotic destinations by plane. So yeah. they may want to get in that car and go to a place with beautiful scenery like you see behind yeah. me here, uh, and that is Kentucky. So we think we're well positioned to bounce back quickly from this, and uh, we're uh, committing the resources that we have 
to seeking uh, those visitors and their dollars. Yeah, so we know what we see here internally in the state, and you, of course you're hoping that a lot of Kentuckians will stay close to home uh, this summer, but uh, you're telling us now that you are also targeting those uh, potential visitors uh, in those states that, uh, that, that might like to just come and, uh, and chill in Kentucky a few days. That, that's correct. Um, you know, the numbers that we're hearing from the uh, U.S. Department of, uh, or I'm sorry, U.S. Travel Organization is that, um, you know, about uh, anywhere between around 60 to 65 percent of the people in the country say, yes, they want to take a summer vacation. Uh, and the majority of those folks are saying they want to do it by car. Uh, and where we were normally seeing interest in Kentucky in the neighborhood of a, uh, you know, let's say a two to four hour drive, uh, we're seeing people now who are saying, you know, we'd make an eight hour drive to a destination. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that we've opened the state parks as of uh, June 1st with the second wave that was announced by the governor yesterday mm -hmm. of uh, four additional state parks uh, on June 8th. Uh, and, and so we will have an experience for folks to once again uh, enjoy Kentucky through the state parks, but also tourism destinations across the Commonwealth are reopening uh, in the days ahead. And Mr. Secretary, it is a new reality, as we know, at these uh, state parks and these other uh, destinations. Uh, it, it, tell us about that. There will be some rules uh, and, and there will be guidelines to follow as people enjoy themselves, right? That, th that's correct. And, and, you know, one of the things is our state parks, with the exception of two of them, have stayed open during this crisis, uh, not the lodges themselves, but the trails. So, uh, and, and the scenic overlooks, et cetera. And so Kentuckians had that opportunity. Now we have the opportunity to stay overnight and, and to enjoy a few more of the features. Um, at this point, when we reopen on June 1st uh, and June 8th, uh, we will not have the pools open. Those mm -hmm. may come later in the year, as we know the governor announced yesterday that based on some guidelines, uh, uh, community pools may choose to open. Uh, but in the parks themselves, uh, there will be social distancing. Uh, when you check into a room, uh, you may not get the same kind of uh, uh, turn down service that, that you would get uh, normally uh, under uh, uh, circumstances of being a guest, but certainly your room will be clean, it will be safe. Then when you check out, that room uh, by CDC guidelines has to, to go vacant for a day. So if people, um, you know, if you go to make your reservation, you find out your favorite day is not available, it's probably because we have to keep a rotating vacancy uh, in order to be able to have those rooms to make sure that they are clean. And then we are going uh, in with additional cleaning protocols uh, to make sure that they're safe. We hope that by the beginning of July, we will be able to open the dining areas. Uh, there will be food service available, but during the initial opening, perhaps that first three weeks or a month, uh, that will be by carryout only yeah. uh, from our, our dining opportunities. Well, that is uh, but again, our, our, our rangers will be there and programming will start to come back as far as uh, uh, a safe way to uh, see the sites of Kentucky State Parks. Well, that is interesting and comforting to know uh, that, uh, you know, there will be that, uh, that kind of robust uh, cleaning and that even that required uh, vacancy uh, is very interesting. Our bourbon tourism business has been growing fast. People have been visiting the places where Kentucky's famous brands are made. We have not heard so much about those destinations uh, reopening their visitor centers. Do you have any uh, information on that? Well, um, I, I can tell you that the uh, Kentucky Bourbon Trail, there is some reopening uh, that uh, has been able to occur. 
Um, what, what they're doing it is they're doing it in steps yeah. uh, because uh, there's a, 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 you know, obviously there are tours and then there's the tasting centers, et cetera. Um, so uh, we expect those uh, uh, are opening uh, pretty much as we speak uh, for some of the, the, the entities of that. But that, uh, again, there are different steps to uh, what's needed uh, for those destinations along the Bourbon Trail. Um, I want to give a special shout out to uh, the Kentucky Distillers Association and to all of those distilleries. Um, you know, it probably caused people to chuckle a little bit, but how important it was that, uh, first of all, they did the responsible thing by suspending tours uh, because, uh, you know, you have both a product issue and a visitor mm -hmm. issue. But uh, then to be able to change from producing uh, Kentucky's native spirits uh, right. to uh, hand sanitizer that really did uh, help the state and, and helped nationally be able to meet a need. Uh, I just can't say enough about how quickly that they were able to turn uh, their production. And, and we're happy now that they're be beginning to turn it back uh, to the Kentucky bourbon industry. You know, uh, many of our uh, festivals and special events are uh, being canceled uh, for the summer and into the end of the fall. Uh, we do know there is an attempt to hold a state fair, and we understand there will be an attempt to hold some kind of derby festival. Will things have to be done differently, though, uh, this year? Well, certainly they will be, um, and uh, it is in the very early stages now of uh, reviewing plans for a state fair. Uh, and uh, I, I salute the folks that have spent a lot of time uh, making suggestions, making guidelines uh, internally. And now those uh, proposals, that proposal will go in front of uh, the Governor's Healthy at, at Work Task Force, uh, where it'll be looked at by, for safety and security by the Kentucky uh, Department of Public Health. Um, it will, I can guarantee you on all of these events, um, and, and I'm, uh, I'm an optimistic by nature, uh, but I can tell you that uh, some of them may not be able to happen this year, some of the larger ones. And the ones that are able to happen, um, they're going to be, it's not going to be business as usual. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have seen uh, horse racing, thoroughbred horse racing return to Kentucky on May 11th, uh, but without spectators. That's a different experience. But, uh, you know, I think you could probably ask the people that watch it on television and the people that are involved in that industry. Um, it, it, it was a much needed step. Uh, and we hope as things continue to open up uh, and as Kentuckians continue to observe the governor's admonitions to, to stay healthy, to practice social distancing right now, to stay in groups of 10 or less, then uh, what would occur with that is uh, uh, the ability to continue to flatten that curve that we've seen. Uh, and uh, that will allow us maybe to open up to uh, greater numbers of people in gatherings. Yeah, and maybe get some uh, badly needed revenue back uh, in Kentucky here as the economy picks up. Uh, Mr. Secretary, Mike Berry of the Kentucky Tourism Arts and Heritage Cabinet, we appreciate you very much uh, for talking with us today. Thank you. Certainly not a problem. And I just encourage your, uh, go out there and I encourage your viewers, make those reservations, but also uh, there's a lot to do virtually out there. Uh, from the, uh, uh, whether it's Kentucky Performing Arts at Home, whether it's the, the uh, uh, Fish and Wildlife Facebook page, uh, the Artisan Center, uh, et cetera. There's plenty to do out there uh, to, to plan your trip and to enjoy Kentucky tourism virtually. Sounds good. Thanks again for being here. We appreciate it. And stay with us. We'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. 
Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. All 50 states have either lifted or eased restrictions on stay-at-home orders. Now more than 15 are reporting an uptick in new COVID-19 cases. And questions about when and how we gather in large groups are impacting the campaign trail and Capitol Hill. Greta Van Susteren, our national political analyst, takes a closer look. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. National and local leaders pleading with Americans keep social distancing. Officials fearing a new spike in cases after seeing massive Memorial Day crowds. Here's what former CDC Director Tom Frieden told me. I think we will get outbreaks and waves anytime we let our guards down and in any community that has vulnerability. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and also member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, says we can prevent a second wave if we continue identifying, isolating, and contact tracing properly. Meanwhile, the CDC releasing new guidelines on COVID-19. If you've had the virus, you can leave isolation once you have gone three days without a fever, seen your symptoms improve, and waited 10 days since the onset of symptoms. The CDC still recommending we all stay out of crowded places. No word yet on how that impedes President Trump's plans. In August, he wants to pack a 20,000-seat arena for the Republican National Convention. He's threatening to pull the event from North Carolina, where it's currently planned to be, if North Carolina does not guarantee venue health restrictions will not reduce audience size. Governor Roy Cooper says he cannot make that promise. Georgia and Florida are now both offering to host the convention. And there are more disputes over large gatherings. Roughly 20 House Republicans are suing Speaker Pelosi to block proxy voting in Congress. House Democrats passed a temporary rule allowing one Congress member to place votes for 10 colleagues during the pandemic. The move lets out-of-town members of Congress vote. But House Republicans insist the rule is unconstitutional. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sunday. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 and that's coming up over on WKYT. Hey, thank you so much for being with us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT This Morning. We start bright and early at 4.30, so we're up when you're up. And follow me on Kentucky Newsmakers, KY Newsmakers on Twitter for updates. And, of course, the latest always on WKYT.com. You make it a good week ahead. <laughs>